think the main thing is that patients actually, when they first meet us, have no idea what's hit them. They don't understand a lot of what's just been said to them. It does get better. Just stay positive. No, do your absolute best to get through this. There are certainly lots of different medications that can help so that we get you through treatment with as minimal side effects as possible. That's the aim of the treatment. Let somebody on the team know if you're having any problems at all. The earlier we can address any issues that come up, the better we can tackle it. Hello, my name's Julie McCrossan and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Beyond 5 Head and Neck Cancer podcast series. And Beyond 5 is the face of head and neck cancer in Australia. And in this episode, we're talking to Dr. Melanie Jackson, a radiation oncologist based in Perth. And we're going to find out about radiation therapy and why and how it's used to treat people uh, with head and neck cancers. So, so welcome to our podcast, Dr. Jackson. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. Now, for the totally uninitiated patient or family member who's just got the news of a diagnosis and they're thinking to themselves, what is a radiation oncologist and what is radiation therapy? Can you explain who you are and what you do? Well, Julie, uh, a radiation oncologist is a is a doctor who specialises in, in a, um, a medical specialty that uses controlled radiation to either treat cancer or to reduce the pain or other symptoms that are um, that a patient might have from the cancer. Whereas radiation therapy is, is the actual treatment um, that's delivered by a radiation oncology team. Radiation therapy, it, Julie, it's, it's a highly targeted treatment. So, um, so we can aim and deliver the treatment quite very accurately um, to the cancer cells. And uh, it uses a, a high-energy X-ray to destroy the head and neck cancer cells and minimizes any damage to the surrounding normal tissue. In recent years, there's been an increase in the precision with which radiation therapy can be delivered to cancer. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Why precision is important? So especially in the head and neck area, there, there are lots of normal critical structures that are near where these cancers are. So it's very important to try and avoid these normal tissue structures um, so that patients have less side effects during the treatment and also after the treatment. So in more recent years, we've been using IMRT or VMAT, uh, which are two ways to increase the precision of radiation therapy. Can you explain what they stand for and, and what they essentially mean? So IMRT stands for Intensity Modulated Radiation Therapy. Um, and what that is, is the linear accelerators, which are the big machines which deliver radiation. As it moves around, it stops and the shape changes inside the head of the machine and delivers the dose of radiation to the patient. With volumetric modulated arc therapy, which is VMAT, as the machine is moving around the patient, the shape in the head of the machine changes constantly and again this delivers a more precise radiation to the patient. So for the person who's hearing about this for the first time we've basically got sophisticated technology which has techniques for delivering a, a radiation beam to a cancer cell with great precision to increase the likelihood of, of cure or shrinkage or some reduction in discomfort or pain. Yes that's correct Julie. 
I should say to our, to our listeners, if you'd like to see images, pictures of what this looks like and what the cancer looks like in different parts of uh, a person's head and neck, you should go to the Beyond 5 website, www.beyond5.org.au, and there you can see 3D animations, you can see patient stories, and you can see answers to all the questions that we're discussing, but also with lots of pictures, because sometimes it's hard to imagine a great big machine delivering radiation therapy without seeing a picture to help you. There's another kind of radiation therapy that doesn't involve an external beam, but rather it's internal. Can you tell us what that's called and how that works? Yeah, another word for that is brachytherapy. And you're right, it is an internal form of radiation therapy. Um, So what that is, is instead of an x-ray from a big machine, a radioactive source is placed either close to someone's cancer or actually inserted directly into a patient's cancer. Um, But we don't use that very commonly in patients with head and neck cancers. So it's much more likely that you'd be uh, having uh, radiation therapy through the external beam with a head and neck cancer. Yeah, that's, that's correct, Julie, yes. Now, I'll ask you the question that was on my mind when I was a head and neck cancer patient myself, and that is, do you feel the radiation therapy? Does it hurt while it's happening? Well, Julie, I always tell patients it feels just like having an X-ray because you are getting an X-ray, which means it feels like nothing at all. Um, so the treatment is completely painless and it, it's, it takes almost as long as an x-ray to deliver. And do you hear or see anything? Yeah, so the machine, it makes a loud whirling noise as it moves around you. And before a patient has a treatment, they also usually get a scan beforehand as well, which is a, which is a low-dose CT scan. So that's that before the treatment and during the treatment, um, which takes only a couple of minutes, it's just a whirring noise that goes around. And what process do you go through as a head and neck cancer patient before you have your radiation therapy? Can you give us a sort of a summary sense of the sort of things most patients will experience? Yeah, so, so before, before a patient starts any treatment, um, first they come in, um, have an initial appointment with uh, a doctor, the radiation oncologist. And at this time, um, what I do is I examine the patient um, and sometimes um, we'll need to organise some blood tests or some more scans. Um, And then at that first consultation, I'll talk to patients about what is involved in the planning for radiation therapy and at the radiation therapy itself. And then what happens? And then patients are booked in for a planning session, uh, which is sometimes called a simulation session. At the planning session, what happens is patients will get an immobilization mask made. So what that is, is it's, uh, it's, it's, like, it's like a plastic stocking, which is molded to the contours of, of the patient's face and neck. Um, and it, it actually locks patients into the treatment bed for each radiotherapy session. So, so the radiation therapy that the patient will get every day is delivered to about a couple of millimeters of accuracy. So, so in the head and neck area, it's very difficult to set, set you up in the exact same position every day for, you know, like yourself, six weeks of treatment. So um, um, if, if, if you want to move a few millimeters in one direction or in another direction, then there is a chance that a normal tissue structure, like for example, the spinal cord or, or a salivary gland, will, will come within the high-dose radiation field. So in, and, and, and not just for the safety of, of your other organs, but also we want to get the cancer, um, and, and we don't want the cancer to be moving out of the radiation field as well.
So you're able to breathe through this mask because it's it's mesh and it's got holes in it. Um, you lay down on a machine on the machine that delivers the radiation therapy, and you're basically clicked down by the head. Now, for some patients, uh, that can cause some stress and anxiety. Can you run through the sort of options that a, a patient can ask their radiation oncologist or their radiation therapist for, for help to cope with that experience? You know, certainly if patients are anxious, um, there are medications that they can take, which I, I'm happy to provide a script for if patients do express that they're worried. And what I do is I, I tell patients to just to take the medication maybe before the planning appointment and then for the first few treatments and then see how they go afterwards. Um, the alternative is, um, is, is they, can, they can provide or we can provide some music in the, in the um, treatment room and that, that helps calm some people down and, and provides reassurance for people. And, 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 and the, the people who are on the machine, they, 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 they are aware that this is a problem that a lot of patients are, are worried about and they're very good at talking to patients and, um, and, and addressing any anxieties that they might have. That's right. The people who who get you into position, the radiation therapists, uh, can talk to you while uh, they're getting you into position. But they also can see and hear you while you're having your treatment because we have to be left alone in the room. Yeah, because it is radiation. So radiation is is not safe for people who do not have cancer. So there is a camera in the room and there's also a microphone in the room. Um, and I always encourage patients to either shout out and also wave their arms about if they they have any issue whatsoever. And someone's always watching the camera and there's also they can also hear if there are any problems at all. If I could uh, just speak as a patient for a moment to any other patient who may be listening to this, uh, I did have mild sedation uh, before each of my radiation treatments and and I took uh, four songs in that were the exact duration of my length of time on the, on the machine, which in my case was 20 minutes. So I knew the exact uh, time I was at within the 20 minute cycle while I was being treated. And uh, I also asked the radiation therapist to give me the occasional uh, hello, all going well, Julie, we're here with you. And uh, I also spoke to a, a clinical psychologist on the team who gave me some things to think about uh, while I was uh, in position. So I just offer those as suggestions to people because it can, it can prevent people feeling unnecessarily anxious. So let's go, move forward now. The mask is made. Is there anything else that happens uh, before you begin the first treatment? Is there anything else we should let people know about? Um, so, so they, they um, at the time of the planning, we'll, um, um, we also get a CT scan, and that's how um, I, I mark on the CT scan uh, where where the cancer is, and also the normal tissues nearby that that we want to try and avoid the radiation for. Um, and so that that happens beforehand, and that's how we plan what direction the radiation beams are coming from. And, and then what happens? And then they might see a nurse, and I also get all my patients to see a dentist before they start their radiation therapy because it's very important that any outstanding dental work is done before someone starts radiation therapy, and also for ongoing care um, after they've had their radiation as well. And can you explain uh, in a nutshell why that dental care is important before, during and after treatment? You know, what, you know, why it may be necessary, for example, to have some extractions before the treatment starts? 
Yeah, for for two reasons, Julie. So so sometimes the radi- a high the high dose radiation field does go near where the teeth is, and if someone ever needs to have an extraction in the future, it can cause problems there. Um, so if 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 the tooth happens to be in an area of high dose radiation, then they might need to have a course of hyperbaric oxygen therapy first, which is also a very lengthy treatment um, to reduce their risk of a non healing wound from a dental extraction. And the, sec- the second reason is um, one of the uh, potential late complications from radiation therapy is a condition called xerostomia, which is, a, which is essentially a dry mouth or reduced saliva production. And saliva, saliva norm- is normally used to, to, to prevent dental decay or to protect our teeth, if you like. So if, you, if, if someone has less saliva, then their rates of decay does, does increase compared to, um, compared to another person. Yes, I, I think most people don't realise just how vital saliva is to the health of teeth. And so if the radiation treatment uh, causes dry mouth, it can have quite serious impacts on on your dental care and, and uh, cleaning your mouth throughout the treatment process is important, isn't it? Keeping good oral hygiene. Yeah, no, no, it's imperative, Julie. And I do encourage my patients to all start before they even start their radiation therapy with rinsing their mouth with salt water and using um, saliva alternatives and mouth moisturizers as well as often as they can before, during and, and for a long time after their radiation therapy. I think what a lot of patients wonder is, is radiation therapy safe? Well, how do you answer that question? Well, Julie, radiation therapy, it, it, it is safe because it's a very controlled um, treatment delivered by a, a specialist team, uh, which includes myself, the radiation oncologist. We also have a big team of medical physicists, radiation therapists, and there's, there's, there's robust national and international standards that, that have to be applied to the delivery of, of treatment. And the treatment is it's, it's closely monitored and regulated. And there's also very strict and numerous quality assurance processes in all steps of the planning of a person's treatment and also delivery of the treatment. Um, and all this make, it makes radiotherapy a very, very safe option. You're listening to the Beyond Five Head and Neck Cancer podcast series and I'm talking to Dr Melanie Jackson who's a radiation oncologist based in Perth and if you'd like more information about anything that we're talking about you can go to the Beyond Five website www.beyond5.org.au where you'll find patient videos, 3D animations and answers to all the questions we're discussing and more uh, about head and neck cancer and also links uh, to other evidence-based websites. Do, do you give your patients, uh, Dr Jackson, advice about which websites to go to? Because the internet can be a, a slightly concerning place, can't it, if you go to the wrong site? Yeah. So, so Julia, I, I um, give patients brochures from the Cancer Council. Um, the, there's, there's a targeting cancer website as well and, and, and Beyond Five as well. Okay, so they're, they're the, the main ones to go yeah. to. And we advise also the Cancer Council Information Support Line uh, 131120 is another great source of, of people to talk to. So let's turn to the question of the key side effects and then what you can do to, you, you do to help the patient manage those side effects. So uh, let's imagine we're going through the radiation therapy experience as a head and neck cancer patient. What's going to happen and how will you help? So... so 
the side effects of radiation therapy that that's that's cumulative, meaning it's it's worse on the very last day, and there's very few issues at all at the beginning. Um, and what what I tell people is that um, usually for the first few weeks of treatment, they they're generally okay. Around about the halfway point, um, several things set in, and these 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 side effects they they they're to do with the sunburn reaction of the radiation therapy. So. So what the radiation therapy is doing, it's essentially it's causing a sunburn reaction in the cancer, and that's how it kills the cancer cells. Um, so the side effects that, that people experience from radiation therapy are to do with the sunburn reaction. The, the, so after about halfway, the, the first thing that most people notice is a taste disturbance. Our, our taste buds are very sensitive to radiation. Um, and that, that usually starts off with either um, people describe it as a metallic taste or, um, or, or things taste salty or things just don't taste as they should. And then these, these, these symptoms, they get a bit worse as the treatment progresses. The second thing that people notice is um, a sunburn reaction, which is, which, they, which is a sunburn reaction on, on the inside of the mouth or, or where they're having the treatment um, and on the side of the skin as well. And this sunburn reaction, it, 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 it will be, it's uncomfortable and, and it gets painful by the end of the treatment. Um, and it's uncomfortable to the extent that it does affect people's eating and swallowing and, it does, it, and most people will need strong painkillers by the end of their treatment. The third thing that happens is that the mouth becomes dry um, and it gets progressively drier as the treatment goes along. But what, what most people notice with the dryness is it's not that their mouth feels dry, but they actually have an increase, a change in their saliva, if you like, or an increased mucus production. So it's a combination of discomfort and taste disturbance and, and changes in the saliva. People, people do lose weight um, and because people can't eat as well as they should. And there, there are things like that people can get ulcers and issues with their speech, their voice and swallowing during the treatment. So patients, they see, they see myself once a week whilst they're having their radiation therapy and we talk through all these problems that as they come along. I encourage patients to go see um, our allied health team as well, which includes the speech pathologists, the dietitians. They're instrumental in helping patients get through all their treatment as well. Uh, we've got cancer nurse coordinators um, and, and nurses in our department itself who um, help patients with all their um, symptoms during the treatment as well. Um, yeah, and then uh, and I, I guess I'm very mindful, Dr. Jackson, as we we talk about this uh, list of side effects, that it can sound a little bit overwhelming to someone who may be listening to this for the first time. You know, before they begin their treatment, and uh, you mentioned uh, uh, medication for pain, and uh, I'm someone who went uh, through everything you've described and uh, lost a quite a deal of weight and lost my voice for a period of time. But I can honestly say I never experienced pain. I, I was so closely monitored uh, by my radiation oncologist and the, the nurses and so on. Uh, and I was given increasing amounts of both spray on and, and medication pain relief uh, to take throughout the throughout the process. So it's about talking, isn't it, to your radiation oncologists and team members and, and getting the help that's available. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and definitely. So doing things like mouthwashes and, and keeping our mouth clean and and maintaining body weight as best as possible. These, 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 uh, and, and also getting some exercise, all these things, um, they, they really do um, um, reduce the side effects and also reduce any of the longevity of the side effects as well. 
I always say to people, don't keep anything a secret. Just just let me know if, or let somebody on the team know if you're having any problems at all. And the earlier we can address any issues that come up, the better we can tackle it. Could you talk a little bit about the dietitian and the role of the dietitian in helping the patient to maintain weight through liquid food, soft food and, and enriched food? Because they're critical, aren't they? Yeah. So if, if, you, if you can't eat um, your usual diet, often it is quite challenging for a lot of patients to, to, to work out what, what, else, what, what other alternatives there are or, or they're not sure if, if certain things that they're eating might impact on their health or impact on their cancer. So um, aside, aside from the, 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 the radiation oncology team, it, having an allied health um, support such as the dietitians and the speech pathologists, it's really, really good for patients in, in terms of, um, yes, so they do need to go from their usual diet to having um, a more uh, softer diet and perhaps even a more liquid-based diet during their treatment. Yes, I, I was uh, delivered boxes of enriched liquid food, which I became familiar with. But for some people, uh, tube feeding is needed. Can you just briefly explain why that's sometimes needed and what, what is involved? Yeah, so... so uh this, I mean, you know, despite despite all our best efforts, sometimes um, for for a variety of reasons, um, patients aren't able to tolerate a diet orally, um, and and they do need to have a tube either inserted through their nose, and that's called an, a nasogastric tube, or um, a, a peg tube, which is a tube that's inserted um, directly into their tummy, and then they're able to deliver the food directly into their tummy um, with 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 these nutritional supplements. Um, and they do that several times a day, or they do it um, uh, as um, in in conjunction with what they can tolerate orally. Um, and and, and it's, it's so individual, isn't it? I guess it's not not easy to predict who's going to need that extra help and who isn't. No, it really isn't at all. You you really can't tell um, just by um, by looking at someone who's who's going to need it. I um, mean, some some people with bigger cancers would be more likely to need it than people with smaller cancers. But yeah, generally speaking, it is very hard to tell. Well, look, let's move to what happens um, uh, in terms of how long the radiation takes to work. You mentioned uh, a little earlier uh, that it's cumulative. And, and in fact, it even continues to work after the treatment stops for a little while, doesn't it? Yeah, that, that's right. So it, it takes a little bit of time to, to for radiation to work, um, as opposed to, say, an operation where cancer is removed straight away. With radiation therapy, it, firstly, it takes a few days before the cancer cells start to die. And it takes, it takes longer than that for your body to recognize that these cancer cells are dead and to your, your nearby um, um, normal cells, they actually remove these cancer cells. And that whole process takes anywhere from a few weeks to a few months um, before, before, that, before the cancer, um, the, well, before the results of the treatment are known. And do you have to stay in hospital while you're having all this treatment? No, so radiation therapy is an outpatient procedure. Um, so the majority of patients will come in daily to have their treatment and they go home straight after their treatment. Um, there are a few people for a variety of reasons, um, whether they're having other treatments at the same time or, or they, they um, other health issues, they do need to be in hospital during their treatment. But the majority of patients are outpatients. And in a nutshell, what happens after treatment, when it's finished? What happens next uh, for the head and neck cancer patient who's had radiation therapy? So um, patients, they, they, they continue to um, 
um, heal and recover from the side effects of their treatment afterwards. Um, and so, so um, the side effects of treatment, they all take various amounts of time to go away, usually in the order of weeks to a few months. Um, and then um, I, I see my patients about six weeks after their treatment just to um, check on how they're healing up um, and to organize any medications or, or, or um, if, if necessary. Um, and then they, I, I usually do a scan about three months afterwards to, to see the result of the treatment. And what happens after that when you see that that scan? What sort of scan is it? And do you have them at regular intervals for a, a while or how, how regularly would you be tested? So the, the first scan that I do is three months after, um, after completing radiation therapy or completing any treatment. Some patients will have um, maybe further chemotherapy or other treatments afterwards um, and then if depending on the cancer Julie so different cancers are, um, are are different in terms of the number of scans people have to have and so forth but generally speaking most people have the one scan um, to check to see how treatment's gone um, and then and, and in, that, in that first scan if the treatment is is is, is as we hoped or as we um, um, expected then then there's not usually any further scans after that um, for various reasons patients might have a Additional scans after that, and and again in some in some cancers there there are it is necessary to do multiple scans after that, but not for the majority of patients. And and would you continue continue to see the patients uh, uh, over the next year or so, or do you hand back to the general practitioner, or does that differ too according to the cancer and the patient? It does differ according to cancer and patient, but I usually see my patients um, at about three monthly intervals after their treatment, up to five years. And if you were going to advise a head and neck cancer patient who's listening to this and perhaps feeling a little bit overwhelmed by what they've heard, what, what's your basic message to them? Um, you know, I, I, Julia, I always tell my, my patients that they play a big part in their own treatment success, if you like. And part of this is to stay positive, to maintain their body weight as best as they can, and to try and get a little bit of exercise as well. Why is exercise important? Because that's being emphasised more and more, isn't it? Yeah, so, so there's lots of studies to show that exercise is integral um, in terms of, well, the big part is in terms of patient recovery. So for example, in head and neck cancers, a lot of patients do lose weight. And if you lose a lot of weight quickly, you, you end up losing a lot of muscle mass rather than, say, fat cells, for example. And if you lose a lot of muscle mass, you will get very, very tired. So in terms of recovering from this tiredness, it is important to get a bit of exercise in and maintain muscle mass. Um, and there's also a lot of studies which show that exercise directly helps with cancer itself. And just finally, uh, we, we have mentioned some websites earlier in our conversation, but where would you send your patients if you say, look, if you want to go on the web, go to these sites? So the Cancer Council, the Targeting Cancer website and also Beyond Five. Well, look, uh, Dr. Melanie Jackson, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us. It's great to hear it, you know, from someone directly involved in clinical care. And I, I should say to uh, our listeners that... 
You must remember that this podcast series is providing general information only and please talk to your own doctor or clinical team about any questions or concerns that you may have. And Dr Melanie Jackson, radiation oncologist, has mentioned Cancer Council several times. The Cancer Council Information and Support Line, and it's a free call, is 13 11 20. Thank you so much for talking to us. I'm Julie McCrossan. Thanks for listening.